0: Welcome to the STL Soccer Report, brought to you by the Beautiful Game Network.
1: Hello everyone, welcome to STL Soccer Report. It has been a while and uh, I'm only coming at you now because I got a really, really good interview. Uh, That is one with Blake Decker. He is the director of the Academy for St. Louis FC. Uh, the newly formed St. Louis FC Academy, which combines Collinsville and the St. Louis Scott Gallagher on the Missouri and Illinois side, um pretty cool stuff going on there. And we talk about everything. It's a long interview. Uh, we talk about everything I think I could keep come up with. And I think we could have gone longer, but, um, for your sake, I think it was about 45 minutes long. Uh, but definitely if it starts getting boring at the beginning for any reason, um, I really geeked out pretty deep and, and we talked about a lot of different things, at least hang on till the end where we kind of talk about, you know, the debate of how you can, academies can sell on their player. The recent loss lawsuit that happened with involving Yedlin and Bradley and uh, everyone um, in the academies in the in the United States uh, with FIFA facing MLS and all that Uh, we talk about that and if you don't know what I'm talking about it explains it it's something that everyone should know about United States soccer uh, if you're a big fan of even just USL it's something that is going to affect players coming up to our senior team which is on the USL level and uh, including Josh Sargent which we also talk a lot about in that situation, but, um, definitely listen to all of that interview, even if you miss everything else, but let's talk a little St. Louis FC before we move on. It's just me today, Phil, but, um, I want to mention a few things, Again, I don't I don't like to pick out things that the team is doing wrong and just go off on the team or even go on you know go on about how good they are because I'm gonna get some of that stuff wrong. I'm no expert, but I do like to throw around like up options and, and opinions that could be uh, from all different angles. And so I want to talk about you know it's been a, a rough run, a very very rough run, a really crappy first half of the season for sure. When it comes to results, I think we can all agree on that. And so let's just talk about it. Um, Sad and hopeful is what I'm choosing to feel about the season so far. Uh, Very sad. Very sad. We got a couple of good games at home that were really, really exciting. And then just really nothing great from that point on. A lot of draws against teams that were kind of exciting. Um, And then some losses to some teams we shouldn't have lost to. A couple wins that weren't just absolutely selling me on the team. You know, the one in Pittsburgh was kind of nice, but really we've not seen a turnaround, a a complete turnaround, with exception to when Tampa Bay came to St. Louis uh, a few weeks ago, which was an incredible game. I think it's one of the best the teams looked this year, especially when it comes to uh, heart of playing. And we're going to get more in depth into that in a minute. But sad and hopeful is what I feel about because it's been terrible after a couple of good home games. Uh, But we've seen hints of of things maybe working, um, some corrections that seems to have made a dent into the way, uh, the turnaround that needs to happen, which I think we all agree we all thought was going to happen at the beginning of the season with the uh, hiring of Precky coming in. Um, But I think we've seen now that it's not just a coach hiring that's going to turn everything around. It's there's a lot more that goes into it, so let's talk about that. Um, let's talk about Preki first, honestly. Um, if we assumed the absolute worst here, okay, um, <laughs> you know, there's a quote in the last episode of Game of Thrones about assuming the very worst in your opponent and, and what could hurt you the worst. Well, let's think about that for a second. In uh, in Preki, the very worst could be that he spent a year and a half away from the game. And let's be honest. We're going to say this a few times today. USL has improved insanely um, in, in its quality of play, its level of tactical awareness, um, its level of of just being um, clinically more sound. Uh, interestingly enough, um, fitness has always been there, and so you could take a look at Preki and say, "Is his, his tactics are his tactics a little outdated?" Um, I don't think so. I think he's trying to play soccer the right way, and that makes it a little bit harder, perhaps, if you don't have the highest, best quality players in USL on your team, at least a few of them. Um, We thought maybe we did have them, but perhaps it's not working. You know, a big factor in his system is fitness throughout the season and rotating players in and out. And so are his tactics not working anymore? And was he a one-trick pony in a way? Um, not as far as setting up the team, but as far as as the press, as fitness, as as throwing a bunch of guys forward and wearing a team down and winning in the end, is that something that isn't going to work for him anymore? And And he's having to search for other ways of winning. I think we've seen a lot of hints of him abandoning some some aspects of that throughout the season we've been seeing more long balls we've been seeing more uh getting trying to get in behind from from long distance in recent uh, history once we got these these uh fast players back from injury um we've seen some changes in tactics that seem to be working against tampa bay it took them by surprise and and shocked them and, and it, heck it worked it worked really well but if, if we looked at the worst possible situation with precky Is he a coach that's, um, able to get past all of those things, no matter what players he's given, um, and when get into the playoffs, we have yet to see it's not impossible. Uh, but if not, um, I think, you know, a decent talk with Precky or maybe even a little bit of accusing here and there about certain aspects of what Precky's done this year, um, are not unfounded for sure. If we are again, to look at the worst possible scenario, um, I will only defend him in saying again that I think he's searched and searched and searched for other ways to win. I think he's thrown different tactics out there. Things that we haven't seen is, is he hasn't looked to the counterattack until very recently. Um, there, the whole bunkering hasn't happened at all. Um, and countering in that way hasn't happened in the least. Um, I've seen him throw, try the target forward thing out with Tyler David and and obviously try to win on set pieces. It's been a big part of, of trying to win. Um, and so that makes sense when you don't have fast guys, when you're being able to score goals through play, through run of play isn't working. Let's try to get the ball in the box and, and get it in. Um, I'm sure he didn't even enjoy that, but he did try it several times. So, you know, he's trying what he can do. Uh, you don't want to move it around too much. You don't want to switch up styles in the middle of a season at the wrong time, as we saw with Dale Schilly against Tulsa trying to throw three in the back. Um, and it just absolutely backfiring on him. And he got just completely obliterated for it, um, online. So anyway, we've seen both sides to Precky. He's not throwing the towel in. He's still trying. He's still pushing his players. He, did finally kind of sell them out and say they're not doing what I said um, after uh, a recent loss. Gosh, I can't remember which game that was at home. Uh, really embarrassing loss to Pittsburgh is what it was. Um, so he's frustrated. Obviously, the players are up are frustrated and, and, and disappointed. I, it looks like disappointed in themselves. Uh, but that's enough about Preki. Let's talk about um, the GM and the players. Okay. A lot of people have, have thrown out that the GM hasn't done his job. Again, let's look at the worst possible scenario. Uh, last this is the third season in a row of of not succeeding. This is the third season in the row of maybe it's not getting the right players in. Maybe that's for the coach, maybe that's for tactics, maybe he's uh telling, you know, people below him this is a certain tactic that I expect you to run or a certain formation or Maybe some things are coming down from Jeremy Allenbaugh um, that haven't been working. Um, perhaps he's not able to keep up with that um, rise in talent year after year after year. Perhaps he's just been one step behind uh, the rise in talent in USL every single year. We've had some really talented guys, some big names coming in who have been proven in the past. Uh, for example, Valesky and Angulo have both had really good seasons. Valesky has scored, you know, one every two or three games um, on average uh, throughout his, his uh, professional career in USL. Uh, Angulo has proven he's gotten, um, I believe it was MVP one season with, um, with Pittsburgh gosh, and then he went to NASL and was successful there. So, you know, it would be only expected that he would be able to do well here. So we had these two proven number nines up top that we could choose from and any mix of midfielders and and center backs and and full backs behind them. Uh, But perhaps it's still not good enough. Perhaps the level needs to be risen higher to maybe the amount we're paying these guys, the scouting that needs to be done, which is hard to do on such a small budget. Um, there are no official St. Louis scouts that I know of, but we talk about that in the, in the following, uh, interview about, uh, the Academy trying to dabble in getting their own st- uh, scouts for local players. Um, so scouting is a tough one in USL in general. And so, uh, maybe we're just not getting the right guys in. Um, and maybe that's Jeremy's fault. We don't know which players Jeremy has brought in on top of that. We don't know which ones, uh, Precky has brought in. So let's, defend Jeremy and say, maybe Jeremy brought in some guys that were right. Um, and they didn't mesh well with the guys that Precky wanted to bring in. He has the final say, but we don't know how much he's forcing his hand. We don't know how much Precky's forcing certain players. Um, or perhaps we just didn't get the right guys. Another defense of him though, is the last two signings. Um, not two, um, but you know, signing Daniel Jackson from OKC and losing Angula looked like, and not even, straight for straight trade. Uh, but, but look at maybe our scouting was good on him because look at how well he's done in this system versus Angulo in this system already. Daniel Jackson scored several goals for us. Um, let's also look at Emmanuel Apia is maybe the best attacking player or ball handler. I, I would say that St. Louis has ever seen. Um, I, I, I was a little um I was a little tipsy one night and I, I told all my buddies that I thought he was like the USL Nagby because the guy can dribble at you directly and it's hard to get the ball off him. He is threatening and he can he can weave inside, he can weave out and, and you just can't get the ball off him. So if he can hold that ball long enough in the final third, guys can move around and he can get that pass in, maybe the pass before the the assist and uh, perhaps even some assists. Um, you know. He's not Nagby. He doesn't have the vision of Nagby. He doesn't have perhaps the shot of Nagby, which people uh, go off on. But look at what Nagby did the other day is is incredible. Um, we haven't seen Apia do that sort of thing, even though we got a goal on a set piece that was really nice um but the guy can dribble at people and he's a threat in the final third he makes defenses move around and shift which gives more playing space for the strikers in the final third which is daniel jackson Veleski has come in and and these guys are are just creating more space for the guys that score the goals and daniel jackson hasn't been in his career a guy that scores goals but i think the system is just working so well that he has been scoring the goals Um, he's got the speed to kind of outrun guys when we changed our system out to kind of get behind with three guys. Um, the system's just been really looking good and working, um, what Precky has done with the new guys. And so that's a defense of Jeremy. That's a defense of Precky that if he gets the right guys under him, um, Perhaps his tactics can start working and and Jeremy perhaps is finding all the right guys at the right time here at the end of the season and um, perhaps that's going to roll over. I have other things that we can bring up, but this is going to get old. You know, perhaps the players aren't good enough and they're not playing good enough. Perhaps they haven't been rotated enough. Maybe they've been rotated too much and we haven't had a consistent starting 11. We've had a consistent starting 11 the last several games and I think maybe that's helped. But I think his hand is being forced because there is so many, uh, so many injuries. Not the center backs; um, AJ's been a backup, as far as I know, he's not hurt. But the fullbacks, they've all been hurt except for uh, Charpie recently. Um, so, but you know, the fullbacks have been looking good in their positions. Ryan Howe has been playing like just a man on a mission. Seems like he has kind of figured out how to play in USL and, and, and really vibed well with the team. So uh, these guys are, um, they're doing well and maybe they're being set up correctly now to do better, but maybe they haven't been handled perfectly. And, and perhaps their talent level isn't up to, to par with what needs to be done and how the team wants to play. So um, maybe that's on the players. Maybe that's on the players not picking up and, and getting to the level they need to be. Um, It also sounds like maybe Aiden Stanley hasn't been able to fill in a role like he's wanted to, like the team has kind of hoped that he would, uh, which Precky has done his best to get him in the starting 11 and and tried to sub him in. He hasn't had a chance. Um, So it's nice that he's trying to get those academy guys in. Um, But maybe, yeah, the players just aren't able to pull off what is being asked of them. Uh, perhaps their heart hasn't been in it. Uh, Dahlgaard has looked incredible the last couple games after it seemed like he was out of favor. He's been riding the bench, sometimes not even riding the bench, and he got in because Apia got hurt, and, I mean, again, played like he was a man on the, on a mission. I've never really, I don't think I've seen him play that hard all season as what he did. He was dribbling at guys. He was running his butt off uh, more than ever this season, so um, perhaps he hasn't been on fire uh, and his heart hasn't been in it all season until recently when he was worried about losing his job and, and maybe felt like he wasn't appreciated like he thought Other possibilities, I would love to hear what anyone else would like to throw out there as more possibilities. I'm not going to think of them all, but I'd love to hear good and bad. Um, Ideally, maybe both, if you can, send some things out that you've liked about the team recently and also some things that you think are the main improvements that you think need to happen for next year. And so let's, let's take the good that has been happening in the last little bit, those two new signings that seem to have helped a lot. Um, Preki getting a handle on what the competition is like in USL, and, and maybe that's going to help his scouting as well as Jeremy's. Um, you know, what he demands from agents, the, ty- the level of player, the, the level of player that we need to get. He talked about, when I talked to him last, he talked about getting guys that um, he wanted to get but just couldn't get soon enough because the Gold Cup, the CONCACAF Gold Cup was happening. That's a high level of player, uh, players that are playing in the Gold Cup. Uh, now maybe they're guys from, um, Caribbean islands, or maybe they're guys from, you know, Honduras or Costa Rica. Um, maybe not the main, the main, uh, countries there, but still they're guys that are going up against some of the best players in CONCACAF. So, um, We're looking for even higher players, it sounds like, in in this situation. So I think there's hope for the future. I think next year is going to be much, 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 much better, unless that level goes higher than they expect even next year. And so let's just hope that the the front office gets their act together. The owners have put plenty of pressure on them to win. Um, Perhaps job-threatening has been on the line. Um, I would never go out on a limb and call for that. Um, especially guys that have been really helpful and friendly to me and forthright and talking to me. And so, um, I don't know, I would hope that they would give Jeremy one more year. And even if, even if it, the worst happened and they think it was all his fault, but I think that's pretty rare that that happens. Uh, but I think one more year is as much of a leash as, as he should get. If, if they go through another losing season, we'll see what happens in the off season. Obviously, I think we're going to see what happens throughout the rest of this season, we'll see whether this team gets into the playoffs. It's not impossible either. There's more hope there in that we're playing some really low bottom of the table teams really killed us um, that we didn't get that win um, away to uh, Rochester. The red card killed us. It was a red card. Obviously it's just feels like it's been that kind of luck for this team in certain aspects where we could have gotten away with something and just nothing has gone our way in these games. This is a perfect example of that. So, um, really sucks that that red car, red card happened. We don't get to see how well this team actually gets to, um, compete against other teams because all we've watched another game uh, with 10 men versus 11, so it's hard to see what's going on. Whether they're hard or hard is in it on this or not. Obviously, it wasn't a 4-1 to loss to Louisville, so I think we can't complain in that way like we did against Louisville. So there's that. Um, again, I'd like to hear plenty from anyone else willing to share what their what their thoughts are. You can hit us up on Twitter at STL Soccer Report, STL Report at Gmail.com. Um, send us your thoughts, feelings, answers, questions, love to have them all. Thank you again for listening. I'm not going to come at you again after this music break. You're about to hear me talking to Blake Decker, who is the Academy Director for St. Louis FC. A lot of good stuff. Hopefully you stuck around and you'll stick around to the end for this one. Thanks again for listening. back to the show. Uh, this is Phil here and I'm talking to Blake Decker and Blake is the Academy Director for St. Louis Scott Gallagher over the entire umbrella, correct?
0: Well, yeah. Technically, now St. Louis FC uh, right. since uh, since we merged the two academy age groups, fifteen through nineteen. So
1: definitely, and we're going to
0: get to that. Actually, okay. we'll get All specific.
1: Right. But let's just start with you and your history. When did you join the club? What did you do before that?
0: Yeah, so I've been with the club uh, since two thousand and six. Uh, although at that time it was uh, Metro United, so this is this is pre-merger, oh. uh, which happened in two thousand eight. But uh, I'm I'm originally from Chicago um, and had been coaching up there. Um, and my wife is from this area, so we moved down here in the fall of 2006. And I joined uh, Metro United at that time. I coached in, uh, in the U16 age group, uh, and was also teaching uh, in Belleville West. So I taught for, uh, for five years as a classroom teacher. Uh, but the year after I arrived here uh, was when the academy first started. Uh, so good timing for me. Uh, got in with the club the following year the academy started. And Dale Shilley, who was the program director at the time, asked if I wanted to be a part of that program as an assistant coach and been uh, been with the Development Academy ever since.
1: Oh, that's great. When did you play, I assume, as a, as a... Did you
0: get to the pro level or how far did you go? No, from? no, never professionally. Mm-hmm. Uh, up in the Chicago Metro Leagues was as far as I went after college. Uh, played uh, youth for Chicago Magic uh, and... Uh, um, up in Chicago, and then collegiately at Westminster College here in uh, in Missouri, mm-hmm. uh, in Fulton, Missouri. Oh, great. Yeah.
1: I've been to that school, actually, yeah, right. Westminster. Um, so we'll talk a little bit more about the Magic, maybe. We'll touch on that a little later. But um, Scott Gallagher, tell me about that history, as far as you know it at least. There's a lot there from the 70s, but um, how did that kind of come about and all the mergers and things like that?
0: Yeah, so, I mean, obviously, in, in growing up, it was uh, it was a club that we always saw at regionals uh, on, a, on a regular basis, mm-hmm. um, being uh, being from Region 2 up in Chicago. and. Uh, between you know, Bush Soccer Club at the time and Scott Gallagher, it was you were you were you know guaranteed essentially to see one of those two teams if you won your state championship and made it to Region uh, hmm. Two event. Um, so, uh, obviously, you know St. Louis um, has had a long tradition and it, it provides uh, it's, it's an interesting environment because you have here players that have. Parents and grandparents that have played the game, um, which is different than than other parts of the country. Um, so it adds a, a different level uh, dynamic uh, mm-hmm. to the environment here. Um, but you know, I think one of the uh, one of the strengths that, that we have um, in the organization, St. Louis Scott Gallagher, is that in, in two thousand eight, um, you know, you had three individual clubs and three individuals, very good soccer people, uh, all of which who could be successful in their own right and could have stayed separate and been very yeah. successful in their own right came together um, to try and build something uh, really special. Um, and that's obviously our mission statement to be the best club in the country um, is what is what drove that and what drives us today.
1: Yeah. Uh, a lot of big things there that we're talking about the history and this club's been around so long, and, you know, at least in, in some form or fashion, and uh, you know, we get these brand new academies popping up, and so um, you're competing with these MLS t- you know academies mm-hmm. and on all that kind of thing, and so people don't realize how good a thing we have going here in St. Louis to have that history and, and that experience um, for being lo- around so long, so you've got a lot on your hands and so yeah. um, let's talk about what you like to build up in your players in your academy like what are the focuses that you have is that something that's been built over over the years in the history and and the style of play and all that kind of thing
0: yeah so I mean I think you probably have two um, you know you have two phases you have a phase where we didn't have a first team um, and so you know, our goal was to develop players to their maximum potential, but we knew at the end of the day that uh, at 18 years old we were going to be moving them on to somewhere else. Um, Which is usually college at that point, right? Correct, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, and then, you know, traditionally the pathway was from youth to college and then hopefully to, to professional, but at, at that point um, you, were, you were developing them for somebody else's first team. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, with the acquisition of, uh, of St. Louis FC in 2014, 19. Uh, now our mission changes a little bit in that we we do have a, a complete pyramid uh, to start to develop our our own players for. While you have two different phases at the at the end of the day, uh, the thing to stay, you know, uh, I think consistent is that we want our players to be tactically flexible. Um, we want them to be able to play for any first team, for any coach. Um, and so as we develop our players, uh, it's it's principle based in that or or game intentions in that there's there's certain things that that we want them to be able to do um, and regardless of the situation, what system they're playing, what system uh, the other team is playing, that they're able to interpret that and then make make good decisions Uh, because we don't know, if they're going to be playing for this first team or another first team or who the coach is going to be in three and four years. So mm-hmm. we, they need to be versatile and flexible in that way.
1: Yeah, so tactical, flexibility, mm-hmm. smartness, I imagine. Yeah, The correct. basics, technicality,
0: yeah.
1: um, passing, things like that. Um, I did talk to all the academy sign guys that were in camp, at least, when I got to go down to Florida and talk okay. to them. And so they were talking about how, I forgot the name of the coach now, but... Um, Learning a lot of one v one tactics, so that's something that um, at least you have a specialist here, maybe to teach those guys that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, so we want to develop the individual player in the context of the team, mm-hmm. um, and so uh, the the individual, so the, the two are always linked. Um, mm-hmm. You can't just develop the individual, and you can't just develop the team. Uh, because the two are are really inextricably connected. Um, so we we do focus on uh, players being able to to survive uh, individually. Um, and and always um, within the context of whatever their functional role, responsibility, positional role, however you want to say it Mm -hmm. is, within the context of the overall team.
1: Yeah, and I don't have a perfect vision of what's going on in U.S. soccer, uh, but it seems like there's been a development in the style of play in in U.S. soccer, as there will be anywhere in the world. But, um, you know, you hear a lot about U.S. soccer being – You know, kind of a launch it down the field, chase it, have the the target guy to knock it in. And now even in USL, you're seeing um, different styles. You see that, but you also see possession soccer, which Precky has brought here for sure in certain ways. And um, you see all kinds of counterattacking, things like that. And so is that... You know, you want your guys to be able to change it up from team to team, but is there a focus for Scott Gallagher as far as what style they play in
0: competition, or yeah, does it depend on the team and the coach? Well, I think I think it depends it depends on the, the stage of development that they're in. Yeah. Uh, obviously, you know, a U12 is different than a U19. Um, but in general, I would say that we want to be as best we can to dominate the, the ball, to mm-hmm. dominate our opposition through possession. Yeah. Uh, possession in their half of the field. Uh, Um, It's great to be able to knock the ball around the back but the goals get scored in the front half so we want to be good enough that we can dominate them in their own half of the field Um, and that's that's the end-all goal uh, yeah. where we where we want to try to be at and
1: I heard accusations I have no idea I'm talking to you now so I can sure. get the first word yeah um accusations to last season rather mm-hmm. and the season before that about it being a Scott Gallagher style to do this back pass thing and hold it you know have the uh, possession but hold it in the back until you can push forward and get that that correct attack that you want is that something that was legitimate
0: not so much did you change it at some point no no I don't think I don't think there's been a there's been a change uh Um, But, again, how how it's interpreted at different age groups is is going to be differently. So, you know, the first thing that you have to teach players to do is to be able to to possess the ball. Um, That's that's the first thing that they have to be able to do. And then you can start to teach them about tempo. Mm -hmm. And then you can start to teach them about when to play forward versus when to circulate the ball sideways or backwards to try and find an opportunity to play forward. So I think there's a progression that takes place. And and maybe if you walk up to a field at a certain age group, Mm -hmm. it may look like that. Sure, uh, but I think it's just part of the continuum as a part of that developmental process.
1: Thank you. I think that clears things up at least for you know, what people would talk about in the past. Um, uh, let's talk about the pyramid of St. Louis FC itself. Had the academy for years, and then they go and add a Division Three team. Mm-hmm. That uh, then they add uh, the Under Twenty Three team uh, was acquired uh, last season, and so now USL is Division Two. How does that apply to the academy and your goals in, in getting those guys in? Um, tell me about you know, what age group you'd like to have goals set for these guys to maybe make those
0: teams. Yeah, so I, I think um, I referenced before our mission statement is something that, that we talk about on a regular basis. And every presentation that we have with our full-time staff, every meeting, is, it's something we review to, to build the best club in the country on and off the field. Um, and so that was that that was a big part of our decision-making when we decided to add the first team Uh, we felt like St. Louis deserved outdoor professional soccer Uh, we felt like from a club perspective that at the time we were the only ones that were in a position to do it um, and we wanted to to bring it to the community um, as well as provide uh, the tops of the pyramid for our players Mm -hmm. Um, so Around that same time, um, we started talking uh, to each other, Kevin Kalish and myself, uh, about, you know, what effect that might have on, on the academy structure. In the, in the old model with only two teams, where, as we talked about before, the end-all be-all was to college, and then hopefully from there, they're able to take a step to professional. It made sense to, to have two academies, but with the first team on top, then we, we started to think, okay, maybe um, it doesn't make as much sense anymore. Um, so that was in... The, the fall of 2014 um, and so we talked to me and we decided at that time that you know it's probably something that we would do down the road but it wasn't something that we were quite ready for we wanted to see first season of the first team how things played out and, and go through that and so what we saw in the first uh, in the first season is that you know by July or August we had our first academy player uh, in the in the first team in the training environment um, The following year, we had four players in preseason, two of which stayed and eventually signed uh, to professional or to amateur contracts, I'm sorry, the uh, academy contracts. Um, And then at that point that we saw that this was happening, we said, okay, let's start to, to really build these pieces underneath the pyramid. Um... As we were in those discussions, we had the opportunity to add the, the PDL. Uh, so they came to us, and we're, and we're looking for uh, a franchise here. We're fortunate in that uh, the one in Springfield uh, two weeks before the season was not going to be viable. Um, mm-hmm. And so we saw that as an opportunity, knowing what we were doing with the Academy, to add that step. Uh, mm-hmm. Because it's still very difficult for a 17-year-old to make the transition um, into the first team, and especially from a games perspective. Um, and the PDL provides that in-between step where they can play against men. It's a little bit of a lower level, but they can get games in that environment um, while they're training with the first team. Um, and so now uh, you fast forward to this fall. Now we feel like we've uh, completed the pyramid uh, by bringing the two academies together, 15 through 19, uh, the PDL, which you know we've had a number of players um, Josh Sargent, Aiden Stanley, who's a regular in the first team now in the 18, um, Jack Mayer, who's on an academy contract, uh, Mateo Kidd, who's at SLU now, uh, but was training with the first team. So we've had a number of guys now who have used the PDL as their step into, into the first team. Uh, and our hope is that by bringing the best players together at 15 and above now, that we're going to increase that from maybe one or two players a year to three or four players a year that have a chance to take that next step.
1: Yeah, and um, this is, I mean, it's really exciting to see those opportunities being given these kids and and what that will produce in maybe five or ten years even, um, being able to play on that higher level. Uh, let's talk more about, uh, first actually let's talk about European partners because I don't know how that works, I don't know if it's just a voluntary thing where the kids kind of volunteer to get sent to these, these two possible academies in uh, Europe sure uh, but let's talk about
0: that a little bit how yeah works. so so you know I'll speak uh, probably most in-depth about uh, the relationship that St. Louis Scott Gallagher Illinois has with fine work uh, okay. because my, my previous role was as the Academy director in Illinois mm-hmm. uh, and as the director of coaching in yeah. Illinois um, so I'm, I'm most familiar with the inner workings of that one um, but uh, that really stemmed out of uh, again this idea that we were developing players, um, we didn't have a first team, and we wanted that next level type experience for our best guys. Uh, At that time as well, uh, when we formulated that partnership, the U14 Academy did not exist. Um, So it was the the development academy started with the 16s and the 18s. We didn't have a, a development academy for the 14s. And so we were looking for something of an international experience for our under-13s and 14s um, to try and open their eyes a little bit and give mm-hmm. them a different worldly experience, uh, as well as a soccer one. Um, so we started taking teams over to, to Holland, uh, to Rotterdam uh, with Feyenoord. And after two trips over there, uh, we started talking with them about potentially a more formal partnership. Our goals were... And Dale and myself, we had spoke with a lot of different clubs uh, from probably 2012 on. Um, and every single time at some point, they wanted to sell us t-shirts and they wanted to do camps. Uh, yeah. And that's not what we were interested Interesting, in. Interesting, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's not what we wanted. Um, you know, we wanted something long-term, substantive, and we wanted to be able to uh, provide our, our top players with a different experience. We wanted an international experience for teams at specific age groups, and we wanted our best coaches to be able to continue to grow uh, and educate themselves in a different environment. Um, and so, essentially, that's what we built with Feinord. Um, You know, we send our 13s and 14s over there every spring. We send uh, two players Um over in the fall, and two players over in the spring, and they train for a week with uh, the appropriate age group over there, nice. and then accompanying them uh, there are two coaches that uh, that go over there. And while the players are training, the coaches are doing internships and educational opportunities over there. That's yeah. great. Yeah, so it's uh, they're they're uh, been great partners, uh, and and yeah, the the benefit has been exactly what we wanted. Uh, so very happy with that. Um, and uh, on the Missouri uh, SLSG Missouri, in their partnership with Roma, um, is uh, is partly uh, through uh, Nike Premier Clubs, um, and there's there's several other uh, Roma partners in the U.S. Um, and they've uh, they've done uh, similar situations uh, where. Uh, coaches can go over there for coaching education. Um, they've also done uh, some things with the Mel Cup and, and other areas there, where they pull the best players from the different Roma clubs in the in the U.S. Uh, to go compete uh, in Europe in specific competitions. Um, they've also added some value domestically uh, by bringing together those clubs uh, to, in the U.S. So. In December, they hold an event down in uh, Florida where those clubs can go for their U-12s and U-13s mm-hmm. uh, and play and be scouted by uh, by Roma staff. Um, mm-hmm. So essentially, the, the two arrangements are, are trying to do the same thing. We're trying to give a next step for our top players. We're trying to give an international experience for certain age groups, and, mm-hmm. and then we want uh, our coaches to feel like... Um, there's a place to push themselves to see something different so they can make themselves better.
1: Yeah, and that scouting opportunity sounds like a pretty good one as well on top of that. And especially in Florida, there's obviously tons of scouts down there ready to go. So I imagine everyone kind of comes out to that. Yes. Um, So, yeah, well, speaking of that, I almost forgot to ask about this anyway, but national team, we have guys all up and down uh, this academy that are kind of touch and go with the, the national team. How does that work? Do they just,
0: obviously, you're a big name at this point. They just send scouts up here to see them? So, so our Development Academy games, uh, I would say, especially at those age groups, if you you look at 15 and above, um, I would say on average, you have about 70% of those games are scouted uh, by either uh, full-time national team scouts or per diem scouts uh, in the market. Mm-hmm. Um, so... The, one of the benefits of playing in the development academy is they have an opportunity to be seen on a regular basis by individuals that are directly in contact with the national team. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we have the, the showcase events that they do as well, where their entire national team scouting staff is there. Um, and so, you know, the process works a little bit differently for every single player. Um, it could be that, uh, that we're in communication with our technical advisor uh, about a player that, that we want them to keep an eye on. It could be that a scout, when we play against the Chicago Fire at Toyota Park up in Chicago, that's there, likes a certain player. Um, it, it could be that they like him so much that they immediately make a phone call, or mm-hmm. it could be that they write his name down and then when we're in Sarasota in December, um, you know, Brad Friedel or John Hackworth or whoever the appropriate national team coach is is going to come watch that guy and if he does well then then maybe there's a next step for him so the exposure and the opportunity for these guys is is tremendous
1: no kidding and it's it's paid off we've got you know a few kids that have you know Stanley and Mayer it sounds like have both had some experience this year Correct. Um, are there other guys in the younger groups
0: that have uh, you know obviously Josh Sargent's in with the with the 17s and, sure. and preparing for the World Cup um, and we've had uh, a number of guys in the in the younger age groups um, that uh, that have had opportunities. So we have a 2002 Kuzri Wankamal Kamal um, mm-hmm. who went to a futures camp last year, um, and Vincent Fusitola, uh who's a U16 now, uh, was in was in camp a few years ago. So there's a there's a number of guys. And I think the important thing for for everybody to understand, including the players, is that there's a it's a long term process. So if you look at if you look at somebody like Jack Mayer. Um, who was kind of on the radar as a as a 13 year old in some of the market training centers that they used to do, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and then from you know 14 till about 17, um, there was there was nothing, mm-hmm. uh, but his name was still kind of on a list and still being watched. Um, And, you know, he as as players go through puberty and they grow and they develop it sometimes and sometimes they can walk and chew gum at the the same time and sometimes they can't even kick a ball. Uh, But they they continue to be watched. And then all of a sudden at at 17 years old, uh, he gets seen and, you know, he's been in uh, in national team camps probably four uh, in the past 18 months. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas there's two or three years or nothing so this is a it's a long-term program it's a long-term process and for the guys in it um, it's, a, it's a tremendous opportunity
1: Yep, yeah. um, a good experience at the very least um, now you mentioned um, Josh Sargent and, and you also mentioned Kuzane uh, who you know obviously went to Swill Park and is mm-hmm. starting to play regular minutes for them and he recently made a decision. Uh, To forego college, he signed a pro contract with uh, Sporting Kansas City, or at least with Swope. Um, And so there are, as you said, many more possibilities of where to go for these kids. Not only PDL, but they can sign a contract with USL or higher. Um, They can go off to college. Um, I've been told a little bit about how you can go to college on a scholarship for a year, leave and come back and keep Mm -hmm. your scholarship now. And so what's it like... Um, counseling these these kids are about to be grown adults leaving home choosing a way of life you know Cuzane made a big decision to skip yeah. any scholarship you know op, you know regular easy scholarship in the future to go pro so um, have you had some of those conversations
0: yeah yeah we have and before i go in i gotta i gotta give props to the little man so kuzri is Kuzain's little brother oh Um, pardon me thank you no no problem so don't want him to feel left out Yeah, Uh, yeah yeah but uh but yeah certainly uh certainly with those guys um yeah, it's it's difficult because the the game is evolving in this country, um, and uh, but it's not fully developed those pathways. So you have mm-hmm. to be careful, um, and and they have to be um, they have to be cautious and they have to be skeptical. They have to ask the right questions. Um, yeah, and so it's a dangerous business. I'm reading
1: a book right now about that about how crazy. You could be taking advantage of you, at a young age, and
0: yeah. so you, is that something you have to watch out for these guys too? Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. because you know, and and understandably so. In that, at the as you start to talk about professional soccer, it's uh, it's the results on the field that that matter, and you have to produce. Um, mm. And it's a difficult transition for my, for a youth player into into that environment. So they they have to be careful, um, you know. And, and I can't speak specifically about you know what uh, what his final decision was um, in terms. Of foregoing college and, and signing with Swope, uh, but I do know that you know uh, he and I have a very good relationship. I've known him since he was 11 years old, coached him for a lot of years, um, and he weighed the decision when when he left uh, here to go there very heavily. And we were involved in that process and. and counseling him and talking with him and Mm -hmm. asking him questions and asking him to ask questions and at the end of the day um, you know I'm comfortable that that he made a decision that he felt was best for him uh, and then he made it with both eyes open Mm -hmm. and that's all we try to get the guys to do Um, whether it's with our first team or college or somewhere else is that we we want them to go you know eyes open not eyes shut Um, and as long as they do that then it's their decision and they can feel whether it works out or not, that they they took all the information, they weighed it, mm-hmm. they didn't react emotionally, and they made a decision at that at the time they thought was the best for them.
1: I've gotten that vibe because I asked around when he did leave, you know, about why and what reasons, and, you know, I didn't get a lot of information, but I did get the vibe that you guys are more going for a clear conscience more so than... Selfishness, you know, trying to keep him there at all costs. You guys sounded like you were trying to get him to where he should be as a as
0: a as an athlete, yeah. pro or not pro. So yeah. And look, he's uh, he's from two and a half hours away, and <laughs> he and he was it was a seven hour ordeal for him to get the training every single day, and he did that for a number of years. So it's crazy. It's it's not. Uh, there's a lot of factors that go into it, and we try to. We try to look at, at the entire person and what they're going through, and, and help them make the best decision. We can't make it for them. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we would have loved for them to stay, um, but uh, but you know, you try to do the best you can and help them and counsel them in their young lives, and then you know, you 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 wish the best for them, no matter where they end up.
1: Definitely. Um, well, I do want to talk about um, the academy and the selling of players and the whole system how this gets off the ground i think it's no secret that pay to play is what makes this possible and um people like and don't like it i don't want to even talk about that necessarily but i would like to talk about josh sargent and mentioning pay to play and the possibility isn't there necessarily for st louis fc the academy to get money from selling him on. And mm-hmm. so, we'll, we'll throw this out there, the whole, um, it got thrown out, but there was a lawsuit for DeAndre Yedlin, Clint Dempsey, Michael Bradley. Sure. I don't know if you're old enough to have seen him, probably not, uh, no, when you uh, played Dwight. for the Magic. Yeah, he's yeah. a
0: soccer, so.
1: You look pretty young. <laughs> um, well, but you would have played him, yeah, so. Yeah, um, but uh, there was that lawsuit, they were trying to get money There's a FIFA law that gives some money to the academy. We won't go into the specifics, but you guys could be, if the FIFA law was true for you guys, you guys could be getting a share of whatever Josh Sargent gets to go abroad, let's say. Mm -hmm. We don't know yet. Um, So tell me about what you know about the lawsuit, perhaps, and and tell me about just everything. Let's talk about it. Let's get into that.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, if you you look at solidarity and, and how it works in other places in the world, essentially... You know, you have you have two categories. You have uh, you have training compensation, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, relates to youth players, right? So if I'm uh if, if I'm a, a Dutch youth player and, and Academy A uh, wants to buy me at, at 16 years old, then they need to recoup costs to Academy B for a certain number of years. Typically, it's from the age of uh, up to U12, as counts as one year. Okay. So, 8 to 12 counts as one year, and then every year after that counts as another year. Hmm. Uh, and then there's a, a, a certain fee ascribed to each year, and then they, they have to pay that out for the transfer. Um, and then at the older ages, you have uh, you know you, you have kind of transfer fees, and, and what happens typically is that if if that player progresses uh, and then signs, um, then there there'll be a piece of that that comes back down. The food chain, so to speak, uh, up to the age of, of twenty three years old. So okay. there's there's two kind of opportunities there for compensation. Um, Even a transfer
1: those. between eighteen and twenty three, any transfer can still send some down, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Correct. Um, so so there's uh, there's uh, an opportunity to get a return on investment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you talk about the whole pay to play model, there, you kind of can get wrapped up into circular logic or a chicken or egg, you yeah. know, argument because. Um, you know you're not going to get rid of pay to play uh, on a large scale um, unless there is an opportunity to get return on investment Mm -hmm. because otherwise it's just a donation Um, and so in certain situations you may have where you have a large donor or somebody who feels a certain way about a club Mm -hmm. where you can Mm -hmm. remove that system because somebody wants to give the money Um, but in other parts of the world it's only happening because there's a a return on investment. Mm -hmm. Um, Now how the works in the U.S. and what the legalities are, I, I, I'm not. Uh, I'm not sure. well enough versed to say exactly what the legal argument is, um, but it is. Uh, it is a difficult situation, um, and you know, if uh, if we we want to continue to be able to take a step forward, then we probably have to come up with a system that works for our culture, for our environment within our laws um, that will allow that, because I think. Then you really would see that people have uh, more than an altruistic reason uh, to really focus on developing players as, as best they possibly can. Mm-hmm. Look, there's a that's lot of people that do a very good job, uh, but they do it because of their passion for the sport and for the game and for teaching, and, mm-hmm. and so, and that's uh, that's equally valid. But there's probably an untapped piece in there as well that if you could get a return on it, that you know maybe you would be able to take it another 5% than what it is.
1: I see. So you would say right now it's almost more, you could say it's almost more pure to have a pay-to-play system because you're not asking for money in order to get profit you know you're not here to make a ton of money and go home to your wife and kids and go on vacation you're here to teach kids how to play soccer and yeah. grow up into, into pros or just even just learn how to be adults in general yeah
0: they they, they treat us really well here but yeah. my pension would have been better sure in the school district i can assure <laughs> i can assure you that um, <laughs> there you go yeah so so yeah yeah i mean i think yeah if you want to use the word pure i think that's an okay way to put it i mean that's that's why we're doing it we're we're doing it yeah because we love the club and we want to help move the club forward but we also enjoy working with players and yeah. we wanna we wanna help them on their on their pathway. Um, So you know uh, in in that in that case uh, you know maybe things are are getting done. Uh, But as you as you have kind of these arguments about pay to play and this and that without without kind of uh that uh compensation regain it's going to be very difficult to wipe out the pay-to-play system in in any large scale in the country
1: yeah uh i I think that's definitely everyone believes that's true for sure um so quickly st louis fc the combined team Mm -hmm. is that pay-to-play i think people have been wondering that
0: it is it is it It will still be uh yeah and uh, you know with that said we uh we subsidize um so they don't uh, they don't necessarily pay what it costs Mm -hmm. um It's one of the, you know, one of the values of of having a large club and having a first team and and having, you know, um, a big organization. But, yeah, at at the end of the day, they still do. Uh, And, you know, the reality is that a lot of MLS clubs, they also still do. Um, Now, they probably subsidize more than what we're able to because of their organization. Um, but I think it's a little bit of a, a myth that uh, that it's a hundred percent free, even at some of those other organizations. I see some are because I have heard people say aren't.
1: DC United's the last one standing that charges, but that's probably not all true. Maybe fees and when you say
0: yeah when you say charge it it means you know are you paying full cost or are you paying partial but there Mm -hmm. there are certainly a number that that kids will pay up to two thousand dollars as well which makes sense yeah i mean is is look they're subsidizing a great deal uh, but it's still a pay-to-play model uh, within uh, within that structure
1: okay and then kind of two more thoughts on that subject if if you could say develop a model even if you lost out on Josh Sargent let's wipe that clean if you could start today and you could knowingly raise up a bunch of players that could possibly get you a signing fee right returned back to you is that something you'd rather see in this country personally or would you still do you still like the maybe the purity or altruism of of what it is now?
0: Yeah no I think uh, I do think that there are benefits to it Um, I think if you talk about things on a, on a big scale, uh, on a national scale, um, and you really want people to, um, to move players along when they're ready to be moved along, mm-hmm. I think that helps crease the wheels a little bit. Um, no, matter, no matter who you are and what the reason you do it for, um, there's, still, uh, there's still a feeling that um, you're losing out when that happens. Um, and part of it is because you're not a part of the pathway. There's no, mm-hmm. there's no control over the pathway. It's something that we've tried to do with our affiliations, uh, with the different organizations that we work with, is that when, when clubs feel a part of the discussion, when they feel a part of the player pathway, then, uh, then they're much more likely to make a decision that's in the best interest of the player uh, versus the club. Uh, and I think moving towards a system like that is, is going to get you closer to having those types of dialogues between clubs. Yeah. And I think that, it, look, it happens. There's there's good people out there. Um, players get moved along when they need to be, but there's also some that don't. Sure. Um, and I think that is a stumbling block to it that we could remove if we had a, a situation that was set up, maybe not like Europe, mm-hmm. but something that works for the U.S. Cool, and then
1: uh, before we kind of finish up with one last question, if you had a blank check, right, with Mm -hmm. this academy, you could do any damn thing you wanted, okay? What would that be? Would it be to be able to have these guys here all the time, to school them here and keep them here, build new facilities? What would be kind of the top, maybe let's say, top three things you'd like to do with this club if you had a blood like check?
0: Yeah, so I think uh, you hit on it, contact hours. Uh, mm-hmm. So being able to provide more contact hours with them um, and being able to provide them with a better, uh, a better all-around life. Uh, so right now our guys go to school in yeah. the morning. Um, they get done with school. They come to training, uh, and they go home, and they have to do their homework, and they go to bed. Um, so, you How know, many days a week is that? Uh, with our 17s and 19s, five days a week. Wow. Uh, with, our, with our 15s and 16s, four days a week. Uh, wow. And you add games into that, and it's five and six days a week. Um, so, you know, both in terms of having them in proximity to our first team, and being able to see the first team train on a regular basis, which Mm -hmm. trains in the morning. So an alternative type school setup. Um, I don't think uh, that putting them all in a school here is the right thing, because I think there's a socialization aspect that they need as well. Uh, But some sort of um, adapted setup, so that we could get more contact hours with them. Uh, They could be adjacent to the first team, and they could have a little bit more of a well-rounded life, um, even if it's two or three days a week. I think the second thing is um, homestay and creating a housing uh, mm-hmm. setup. Um, even for our, our players now, because if you look at uh, trying to do an adapted schedule, we have guys that come from Peoria. Um, it's a solid three hours uh, if we're training over at, at Creek Core here at the park. Um, one way. Mm-hmm. So for them to get here on a regular basis, they have an even more difficult time having a, a balanced life. Yeah. Um, so being able to set up Something for those guys to be closer, uh, and then eventually, hopefully, to to reach out even further um, into areas where there aren't development academies because there's good players there yeah. that shouldn't be punished by virtue of the fact that they were born in Tennessee instead of St. Louis. I just uh, saw a
1: Farmington FC sticker on the way here. Yeah. you know, I'm like, yeah. where does that kid
0: play? Right. Who sees that kid? Yeah, so, so and we have players from Par- from Farmington okay. that, are, that are in the academy. So, well. so to, to be able to provide those types of experiences and opportunities for those guys, mm-hmm. um, and and not have it be prohibited because of where they were born, um, would be would be a third one or a second one. And then for the third one is uh, you know for us is is building out uh, a true scouting uh, department. so yeah. we, uh, we've. I had an opportunity last year to participate in an in academy director course with U.S. soccer. Um, and so we visited a number of academies. It was a, a year-long course. We spent time at Werder Bremen, uh, FC Michelin in Denmark, Bremen's in Germany, but also at lots of academies in the U.S. and, and other top academies. Um, but the, the biggest thing from what I saw when I, I was in Germany or Denmark or at, at Feinord, um that we miss on in the U.S. is, is real scouting. Um Typically, it's dual roles. It's our coaches. If they have a game, they stay around afterwards and look. And, um, and so it's, it's there, it's getting done, but only partially. Yeah. Um, and so by truly knowing that you have the best players in your region, uh, because the best players against the best players make better players. Yeah, um, and so for us, that's uh, that's that would be an important step.
1: I think all up and down the pyramid, people talk about how bad scouting is in the mm-hmm. U.S. If we're honest with ourselves. Yeah, so, absolutely. Um, that's a really good one. That was a good one to finish on. But let's um, finish up though with what is the plans this season for you? What do you have ahead of you? The season's recently started, correct?
0: Correct. So yeah, what's coming up? So so we started about uh, three weeks ago. We took the guys to Principia College uh, up in Elsa, beautiful campus, and limited cell phone. Service because nice. they the nowhere. Good. Uh, so, we wanted to do that as an opportunity to kind of jumpstart the relationships because the reality is for our, our U19s, they've been playing against each other for, for 10 years mm-hmm. in some cases. Um, so, we wanted to use that as an opportunity to, to really speed up that process. Um, and we've started now with uh, with preseason games. Um, we had a team from Tennessee in town two weeks ago. We went to Sporting Kansas City last week and then a uh, team from Tulsa coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have a weekend off, uh, which is our last weekend before we really get started with the regular season, uh, September 10th up in Chicago against Soccer's FC. Nice. Um, so, so we get rolling there. I think for us, the biggest thing this year is, you know, um, obviously um, – it's, uh, it's different. Uh, the guys are, are in different situations. Um, we took the best players from two different academies. They're all used to being the best players. Um, they're all used to being in the first 11. Awesome. Uh, but there's 19 on a roster now, so you, you can't play all 19. Um, so for us, it's going to be working through that process with the guys. Oh, yeah. uh, and we know we know it's coming, um, and that's it's good. They know it's coming, too. Um, it's a part of the process. Um, but just making sure that... Uh, that we help them and support them and make it a positive thing because uh, yeah. like i said best, is players, hard. best players better players yeah. <laughs> easier said than done yeah. um and then the second thing is is integrating some of the departments that we've added so we have added uh, a modest scouting department um it's one of the reasons why uh merging made sense uh, because there was things that we couldn't do separately that we could do together mm. um and so we we have a, a video analyst now um so the in the past, the coaches were responsible for all of that. We have a designated video analyst that works with the coaches. Nice. Uh, and then we have a scouting department um, that we've added, uh, and we've added some strength and conditioning as well. Um, so so a major goal for us is just making sure that we can integrate all those departments before we hopefully add some of the things I talked about with the blank sure. check uh, <laughs> in, in years, years two and three. Uh, and I think for us, you know, we want uh, we want our guys certainly at 17 and 19. Um, we want them competing in the best possible games at the end of the year, which is the playoffs. Um, yeah, it's nice for the club as well to say your team made the playoffs. But even more importantly, is those games are really good developmental tools. Yeah, um, having to you know, it's one thing to compete over 10 months uh, and be consistent and be successful. That's that's one piece of developing players. It's quite another thing to be in a group of four in a high-pressure situation and be able to say you have three games, group of four, be the top one at the end of it. Um, That's a part of development as well. Um, So we want for the 17s and 19s to make sure that they're in that situation uh, because we feel like it's an important piece of the development on their step to PDL or the first team in the next few years. Well,
1: and it's valued in the real world, you know. Absolutely. Um, Jeremy went out looking for guys who've been in the playoffs in the USL. So, yeah, good stuff. Yeah. Thank you very much for talking to me. Anything else you want to say
0: before we go? No, no problem. I appreciate it. Enjoy mm-hmm. the conversation. And good luck this season, Coach. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the STL Soccer Report. Brought to you by the Beautiful Game Network. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, pgn.fm, and stlsoccerreport.com. If you have any questions you'd like read on air, please send them to stlsoccerreport at gmail.com.